you who don't know uh, Pastor Serafini, he was born and raised in Brazil, um, and uh, he met there his uh, beloved wife, Barry, at a conference, uh, something like this conference, I guess, um, and he um, was called of God to the ministry, and he ministered in Brazil for uh, several years, um, and then um, decided to uh, come to study at PRTS, and he studied at PRTS, uh, received his degree, and then uh, we called him from here to be our pastor, and that was in 2009. So he's been here for, th- for 13 years, um, and he and Barry have 11 children. Uh, they have uh, two married children and two grandchildren. So um, we're excited um, that... Um, that you could come uh, to us to, to be here for the conference. And uh, why don't we uh, together pray for God's blessing as uh, Johnny uh, will speak to us on the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, we look to thee in this evening. We give thee thanks for gathering us together um, in this evening as, as churches um, to gather around the um, teachings of the Canons of Dort, we give thee thanks and praise for, for this document that so clearly lays out to us um, the doctrines of thy word and in such a personal way as well as uh, Pastor Lewis has spoken to us. Lord, we give thee thanks for this and we pray that thou will bless um, this conference to us as we learn more of um, the canons and we um, Study thy word, Lord, we pray that thou will bless thy word to us. Will thou guide Pastor Serafini as he goes before us now? We pray for thy presence and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll invite um, you to open God's word in John chapter 10. And as you're opening God's Word in John chapter 10, we, we had a, a wonderful illustration that Pastor Lewis brought of, of the teeth for total depravity. Tomorrow at 2.30, we'll have a whole sermon on that doctrine. And then he preached on divine predestination. That would be the you for unconditional election, that God chooses us not based on any condition that we meet, but based on His grace that we need. And my message today, uh, this um, evening now, our last message for the evening, will be the L. The L, which in the acrostic tulip is limited atonement. And as a title for this sermon, it is the atonement of Christ. Um, The phrase we're going to read in God's Word, I lay down my life for the sheep. The atonement of Christ. Let us hear a little part of a sermon that Jesus gave to a group of people. In John 10, we begin reading in verse 11. It's one of His I Am statements. So, John 10, verse 11, in God's precious and true Word. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. 
But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And after the text speaks of how some were believing, some were not There were some Jews in verse 25 that were coming round about him, and they asked this question. I continue in verse 24. How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice and know them, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Amen. May God bless the reading of His own Word. The Atonement of Christ. Um, As I mentioned, and Pastor Lewis also brought a little bit of a a brief introduction regarding those those five points that were debated during the Synod of Dort, um, came forth five points of doctrine, and through time they were called the five points of Calvinism. Many people get confused and think Calvin actually penned down these five points and they were connected to his name, but no, he wasn't even around when, when these five points were described in this way. You, you see now where they came from. It was from that debate. But you might meet people who say that they are four-point Calvinists. That's a common thing. I've heard people say that to me. And immediately you know which point they are rejecting. And it's this one. This is the point of greatest controversy, that Jesus died for the elect, which means, of course, that Jesus did not die for every single person in the whole entire world and all throughout history. Those those men who penned the remonstrance, they literally were proposing a, a, a universality that the death of the Lord Jesus... Um, had made salvation possible for every single human being, but then there was this side to it. It was not effective for a single soul. 
But they claimed that it was very powerful to say that because, of course, in their claim, they could walk to anybody and say, Jesus died for you, and you must receive him. It sounds very loving, and it sounds very powerful. And I I do believe that's the main reason why many people reject the thought that we cannot say that. We cannot walk to every single person and literally tell them, Jesus suffered for your sins. They are all paid for. All you need to do is repent and believe. The debt is paid for. It sounds unloving. And it sounds not powerful. But why is it loving? And why is it powerful? Because see, when you consider very deeply this this proposition, the person who rejects Jesus has on one side of the proposition, all all their sins are paid. The debt is done. If they die and go to where God's word says those who reject Jesus go. That soul will be in hell forever and ever and ever. Paying for his own sins who were paid for by the very blood of Christ. Which in fact would mean that that death had absolutely no power whatsoever for that soul who rejected Christ. But see, the good news is that that's not true. It's not true that there are people in hell whose sins were paid for. That would mean that the death of Christ was in vain for those souls who went there. Now think of another reality that would would be so counter um, what God's word would, would declare. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples that they had not to worry because He was going to prepare a place for them. And He went to the cross, and from the cross He went to the grave, and from the grave He went to heaven. Now if it is true that by going to the cross every single person's sins are cleansed and forgiven, there are so many rooms in heaven that would have in a sense the sign vacant. And why? Because they didn't do their duty to believe. And if that were true, you look at the cross, where is the power of the cross then? You see, it sounds powerful, but it isn't. And it sounds loving, but it isn't, because you'll agree with me that it is only loving to say the truth. And the truth is that Jesus' death on the cross was powerful. And it was effective. And the loving thing is that this is a proclamation to the whole entire world. And our our three points as we look at this precious doctrine will be seeking to answer three questions. The first question is, well, for whom then did Jesus die? And for that, we, we have the people. The people for whom Jesus died. The second point is asking this question, was the atonement of Jesus only making salvation possible or was it making it effective, effectual? And for that point, we have the word, the power, the power of the cross. And thirdly, the question, what was the supreme purpose that God had in sending His Son 
What was God's purpose for the cross? And so there, the word purpose. So let's think of the people and then the power and then the purpose. Very briefly in each one of these points. The word people, we we go to this very text that we read, John 10, and we find the answer by Jesus' own declaration. He sends forth a premise and he says, I am the good shepherd. And then he sends a second premise. He says, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But see, when he's doing this, he's, he's telling like a little story. There's a shepherd, there are the sheep. If that shepherd is good, a wolf will come, he will not run. He will give his life for that sheep. And, but he's, there's a conclusion. He's saying, I am the good shepherd. And this is why soon before we know it, he's in verse 15, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 15. And so Jesus has answered our questions. For whom did Jesus die? Jesus said, I died for the sheep. And now you notice that he said in verse 16, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And and this is the preciousness of God's word. This is 2,000 years ago that Jesus declared this. and, And guess what? There are still sheep of his pasture that he's calling Every time the gospel goes forth, boys and girls, you're hearing of the good shepherd and you are to hear his voice and you are to believe in him. And when you believe in the Lord Jesus and trust in him, you are his sheep. Because did you see him describing who the sheep are? He said, the sheep hear my voice. And follow me. See, there's no such thing as someone saying, I am a Christian, but he follows the world. As long as he's following the world, it does not matter what he says he is. He's someone who's described by Jesus as one who does not follow him. His sheep follow him. It's it's a necessity. If you're a sheep, you will follow Jesus. There will be people keeping you from following. There will be persecution so you don't follow. There will be people saying that, mocking you because you follow. And in your heart, because of God's grace, you will say, Lord Jesus, help me. I am yours. Because a sheep followed. That's for whom Jesus died. Now, let's hear from a prayer also. Um, the Lord Jesus then declared that he died for the sheep. Oh, and then also here he's speaking of those who are not his sheep. And when he he looks at these very ones who are not believing in him, verse 26, but ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep. So right there we see the whole world. There are sheep and there are those who aren't sheep. And Jesus is saying you are sheep because you believe and follow me. You are not sheep because you don't believe and you don't follow me. So it's, it's very clear that his death cannot be for those who are sheep and non-sheep because he said he died for the sheep. Now let's listen to a prayer of Jesus, the prayer from the upper room when Jesus is about to go to the cross in John 17, verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. When he says world here, he's meaning not everyone indiscriminately because there's all of those who are not my sheep. But I pray for them, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And this is where we find in God's word this precious reality that his people were first in a sense God's people. And God gave these people to Jesus. 
and Jesus died for them. This is the people. For whom did Jesus die? His sheep, his own, a peculiar people. Then secondly, let's go to the thought of the power. That's to answer the question, was the atonement of Christ only making salvation possible? Was was it only a salvation that, yes, um, for every single soul in the whole entire world, and that's where in our hearts, I confess to to my own human heart, I I love that reality that, that, that it would involve every single soul in this whole entire world all throughout history. But but is it where salvation is really just that lifesaver hanging there, staying there? But there are people who look at it and say, No, I don't want it. And and God, imagine God in his sovereignty looking at that and saying, I, but I want you. And that soul saying, but I don't. Beloved, you think of your own little children. And there's a little accident that happened in our home. And just the thought of what pain it brought my little daughter. And just thinking of her tears. And thinking of her sorrow. And thinking what's going through her mind. I was feeling that pain in my heart. And I was wishing it could be me and not her. And the more I thought about it, the more sadness it brought to my heart. And you know what that means. You may have had little children who are hurting your own son or daughter, and you would do anything to have that pain. But we are finite, and we are humans, and we are limited. But would you ascribe that to Almighty Sovereign God, that He must watch a dear soul that he sent his son. His son paid for all the sins that that person ever committed. It is all paid for. The atonement is done. And God has to just look like a gentleman and do nothing. That, beloved, is no power. Was the atonement of Christ only making salvation possible? Well, let's, let's look at this. We, we saw Jesus speaking about his sheep. Right? He said, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He gives his life for the sheep. And what did he say happens when he gives his life for the sheep? It says in verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. You see, God never has this problem that I just described that, that we, in essence, do. We can see a little child crying and crying. The most we can do is cry. We can't take that pain. We can't make it heal. But see, this is exactly what Jesus did. He, as God, took the pain that would be hell forever, and He healed us because then there's heaven forever for a child of God. So when Jesus is speaking of His sheep, He says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. You see the absoluteness. You see the power. That was Jesus speaking about His sheep. But now let's listen to the sheep speaking about the shepherd. A very... A passage that perhaps in many Bibles, many pastors' Bible as they preach, has marks on it and maybe torn parts because it's the gospel in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. Let's listen to the sheep talking about the shepherd. 
Look at verse 4 of Isaiah 53. Surely he, meaning the servant who is suffering, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. We, We were just adding to his sorrow. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace. See, they got peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed peace and healing and look at verse 6 this is why I say this is the sheep speaking all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord Jehovah hath laid on him the sacrificial servant the iniquity of us all you see, so when the sheep speak of the shepherd, they, they don't talk about a possible salvation, of an available salvation. They talk about a very effective salvation. A salvation that worked. Not because I was smart enough, but because he was gracious enough. But we heard Jesus talk about the sheep. We heard the sheep talk about Jesus, the shepherd. But now... Very precious is to hear the Lord Jesus suffering like a sheep. Because in this same psalm, or or not just in this Isaiah 53, but in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 50, verse 1, we hear Jesus talk about his suffering, and he says, I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7. So you see how the sheep speak about the shepherd, but the shepherd now is the sheep. And he went as a sheep to the slaughter. And what the sheep does when it is slaughtered is it opens not its mouth. That was one of the main things that impacted me when I saw sheep dying during college taking care of some sheep. You look at goats dying, they let you know they're dying. And pigs too, and and oxen, but not sheep. They seem to sleep. And when we see that, It is, of course, to remind us, because this is why it's in the Scripture. This is how Jesus went to the cross. He went willingly. He went voluntarily. He didn't go kicking and screaming. He was saying, I am willing to give my life for the sheep. Because he knew it wasn't just going to make it possible for you to be saved. He knew it would make it where you would be saved if you believe in Jesus. You can have that certainty. Look at Isaiah 63, 3. I have trodden thy winepress alone. He was all alone in his suffering. Psalm 22, 1. That's where the Lord Jesus is even looking unto God. And in many ways you could say this is Jesus asking the question why he's undergoing that suffering. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
You see, this is what this doctrine answers. God was forsaking God because he was saving a people so that they would never be forsaken. Can you imagine, beloved, the reality that Christ suffered forsakenness from the Father to save souls, but then certain souls, because they don't believe and don't follow Jesus, will end up going to hell anyway. Doubly forsaken. You see, the problem with this doctrine of universal atonement is it's completely unjust. Can you imagine hell with the millions of souls that may be there and, and they are still paying for the sins that Christ in all of this suffering and all of this agony made ample payment, but was it ample? If it saves none of them. So we saw the people and we saw the power, but now let's look at the purpose And this is to ask, well, what about God himself? So we've heard Jesus speaking much of himself as a shepherd and then as a sheep. Let's look at God the Father and see his purpose in sending the Son. Again, did the Father have a purpose of just making this universal reality so that there's this availability for souls to be saved and yet actually no power to save anybody unless... People are, are clever enough or good enough or surpass their total depravity enough. What was the supreme purpose in God's heart? Um, you may have heard, this is a classic in regards to limited atonement. There's a book that was written by the Puritan Jonathan Owen. Um, the death of death and the death of Christ. When he died, he killed death. And what he does in that whole volume is um, clarify this doctrine that Christ died for his elect. He, he deals with those verses that, that rightly may, may right, not rightly, I mean like understandably can make us wonder, well, there are verses that speak of Christ's love for the whole world, even the most known verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And, and he deals with all those verses in this passage. And the place that he starts by proving the reality that Jesus' death had a power to save his people peculiarly is when he looks at the purposes of the Father. And it follows a little bit of what we, we want to follow now. We're going to look at the reality of God's protection over the Son. This, in many ways, what we're doing is going back into history before history. It's into eternity past. There were promises that God decreed that He would protect His Son and also that He would punish His Son but that he would also give success to the sacrifice of his son. Beloved, there's such a solemnity to think that this very God who protects is the same God who smites because he loves a people. And see, even the son loves this people, so he's willing to be smitten so that this people may be saved. You see, beloved, this is what's so precious because it puts the believer in the highest position possible of love and yet the most low position possible that we would never boast, that we would never be proud. 
because it took God forsaking God. It took Jesus suffering as he did. But that was the great love that he had for your soul. You see how precious. It humbles us. And it makes us glorify God and so that He is our boast. And, and there is no pride of man in this. So look at God's protection. Look at Isaiah 49.2. And He hath made my mouth like a sword, a sharp sword. This is Jesus speaking of the Father and how He has blessed Him. In the shadow of His hand hath He hid me and made me a polished shaft. In His quiver hath He hid me. It's like Jesus is an arrow in the quiver of the Father. And in the time that was right, He sent forth this arrow into the world. And then it was Christmas. And when Jesus grew up, He was this sharp sword in that His word was sharp. It was a sermon every time He spoke where people could have life if they believed And verse 3 of Isaiah 49, And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So appreciate this preciousness of the Father protecting and blessing the Son. Remember Psalm 2, very well known, the second Psalm, and how the nations are in turmoil. They're full of hatred against God and His anointed. They want to shake as they feel as if they're shackled instead of free. And then we read in verse 6 of Psalm 2, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Think of that. God the Father calls Jesus my king because Jesus will rule for him. I will declare the decree. And then now this is Jesus speaking. The Lord Jehovah said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. See how father and son speak. And the son receives all of this. Psalm 118 22 about the Lord Jesus the stone which the builders refused is become the head stone of the corner this is the Lord's doing it is marvelous in our eyes and Isaiah 28 verse 16 confirms with this and calls this stone a foundation stone a tried stone and a precious cornerstone a sure foundation But as much as the Father promised all this protection as the Son would come into the world for the task that He would take, it was the Father who brought the punishment. Now, it's really, in essence, silly when you hear the world in its commotion, when you find Jews trying to argue that they're not the ones who are guilty of the death of Christ. Don't put that... um, guilt upon us, the Romans, the Gentiles, the government. The government. There are people individually who say, don't, don't say I'm involved in the death of Jesus. I have nothing to do with that. I wasn't even there. Well, he died for sinners. If you're a sinner, you better want to have something involved in the death of Christ. But it's people all trying to get away from it. But you know who says supremely that he's responsible? Because he did it for sinners. It's God. And this is what's mind-blowing. Look at Zechariah 13.7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, the one whom he's calling my king in Psalm 2. He calls now my shepherd, and he is soon to become the slain lamb. He says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, because he's his son. 
saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered and I will turn my hand upon the little ones. You see this reality. The, the, the shepherd is his fellow, but yet he has to receive a sword so that his hand can go to tend the little ones. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of the Jews, smitten of, of, of Potiphar. Excuse me. Smitten of Pilate? No, smitten of God. And afflicted. Verse 10 of Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. What God's doing here is, it's not that Pilate, it's not that Caiaphas, none of them are free of their guilt. But we, we are rising, as it were, from the planning rooms of heaven itself, in a sense. And there is God in all His sovereignty. And put together what we learned uh, that Pastor Lewis brought. And what God was doing was saying, let Pilate do what he wants to do. Let Herod do what he wants to do. And let Caiaphas, without my protection, he's going to send Messiah to the cross. But none of them are sovereign. It is me. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make, see the Lord Jesus, the Lord Father, the God, God the Father, when he will make his soul, the soul of Jesus, an offering for sin. And that's why in verse 6 of Isaiah 53, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Put, put the figure that you know so often from church, that father taking the lamb with the family, and then he got to the priest and he would put his hand on that lamb confessing the sins of his whole family. And in a ceremonial way, he was laying on that lamb the iniquity of that whole family. And a little boy in that family could say, the iniquity of us all, mama and me and my siblings, all our sins are upon this little lamb. And imagine how, how powerful it was, the vision that that little lamb did not go back home and eat and, and continue its life. It was on the altar, bleeding and burning. God the Father laid His hand upon the Son and made His body and His soul an offering for sins. Beloved, is this the the vocabulary of a possible salvation? You see the effectiveness. You see the power when we see it for what it is. And and this is why Paul could say, and we read this passage many times, but we don't focus on on this very beginning. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Did you catch that? Jesus became sin. He became sin for us. He was a sin offering. But the very second word is for he. He, God the Father, made Him to be sin for us. And so this is what I mean, and this is what, what the Puritans meant when they meant this, they tried to explain this reality that God was the one who protected the Son, but He was also the one who judged the Son. It was His wrath upon the Son. It was His judgment. And oh, what a mockery it would be to go through all that suffering, the Son, and go through all this serious judgment, the Father, just to make it possible. And souls could say, no, thank you. I'll pass. 
And what did Jesus do? In, in light of all this wrath, in right of having his father forsaken, in, in light of having the sword coming from God and piercing his very soul. Look at 1 Peter 2.23 who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And who was being judged? Jesus. And who was the judge? The Father. So the Father promised protection, but yet it's the Father who brought the judgment And thirdly and lastly in this point regarding the purpose of the Father, we look at the Son's success. Because even as the Father was saying that He will be the judge, since He was the one who promised protection and promised um, that, that He would be sent for a people, He promised success. And this success element is really the the whole power of the atonement of Jesus. It it is not just a salvation that you just hope and pray and you grind your teeth and you just wonder if somebody will make the right choice. No, it is is a satisfaction that, that is complete. Look at Isaiah 53.10. He, meaning the Lord Jesus, shall see his seed. See, there will be productivity when he dies on the cross. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. It is not a satisfied God who who wishes so-and-so could be saved. But Jesus has no such frustrations. Hebrews 2.10, he will be the captain of our salvation. 1 John 4.9, in, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. He sent him so that there would be life. Jesus even spoke of this success before he went to the final task. In John 17.4, he said, I have glorified Thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. It was so certain that the Father's success would be met that before Jesus even goes to the cross, he already thanks the Lord that the task is finished. So, for whom did Jesus die? Jesus said, his sheep. Was atonement of Christ only, effectu- only possible or effectual. We, we see its efficacy. What was the purpose, the supreme purpose that God had in the death of His Son? It was to save a people powerfully and effectively. Now, three applications before we close. Does this mean that we keep the gospel to ourselves? You know, the even the phrase limited atonement has, to some degree, the effect. And, and, and some people, I would say, it actually goes that way when they don't understand this doctrine correctly. They do keep it to themselves. They're not encouraged to evangelize. They're even sometimes scared to evangelize. Because since his death is not in this direct way to everyone completely, why, why give it to everyone 
generously. Now, when this when this doctrine was dealt with in the canons of Dor- in the synod of Dort, what's what's emphatic is this: as problematic as the world sees it to be problematic, it is the shorter portion in the canons of Dort. I believe it's because as we see these very verses, it has its effect, right? We say, well, how am I going to argue with any of this? Why waste time? All the other articles, all the other heads have a lot more articles to take care of. Article 5 deals with this in in the second head of doctrine. It it deals with this reality of should we just keep it to ourselves? How general can we be about it? And it says, moreover, the promise of the gospel is that whosoever believes in Christ crucified shall not perish. Beloved, see, this is the reality of the love. We can go to every single soul and say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, see, the, the promise of the gospel is that whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe ought to be declared and published to all nations. We are commanded by God's word to see a soul and say, you must believe and repent. It is the only way you will be saved. And if they, if they, if they squirm in saying, but what if it's not for me? You just say, that is nothing to do with the, 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 the command that I'm giving you. It has nothing to do with the promise that is being offered to you. If you believe, you will be saved. And look what it says, published to all nations and to all persons promiscuously, which means indiscriminately, to all without any discrimination and without distinction, to whom God out of his good pleasure sends the gospel. It's the very next article that says those who reject, it's their fault. The very next article says those who believe, it's God's grace. So do we keep it in a corner? No. We share the gospel to the whole entire world. That is the love. And if a soul says, can it save me too? You say, if you repent and believe, you're saved. And how will I know if I repented and believed? Well, if you're a sheep, you will follow the shepherd. And that's all we have. I I cannot have a microscope into the soul of a heart. But God will give the grace. God will give the strength. God will make the sheep follow. It's, 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 an, it's an inbuilt mechanism because it's the Holy Spirit's work. The second application, does this mean that when we evangelize, we cannot speak of God's love? Well, we can quote Scripture. And we can quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever... See, this is, this is our authority, and this is what our freedom even. Yes, we go to the whole world because Jesus was given to the whole world, and whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. A third consideration, how do I know if I am one of the sheep? How do I know if I'm one for whom Jesus died? And on one side, it might sound proud to say, I am a chosen one, and I am one for whom he died. And I, I see what it meant for him to suffer, and I meant all that pur- I see that purpose, that power. And for me to say, I'm one. But see, people who have a sense that it would be proud to say that don't even understand what they're saying. Because 
A true sheep understands the shepherd died for me. I'm the one who killed him. My sins nailed him to the tree. The father put my sins on him because of his love, but it was my sins on him. How can there be pride? If you understand the gospel aright, you are raising your hand and saying, I am wicked, I am wretched, I am filthy, I am vile. I needed heaven to come down and save me. That is how bad I am. And how do I know if I'm a sheep? Jesus identified the sheep very clearly. They hear my voice and follow me. And then fourthly and lastly, this means, doesn't it, that God deserves unlimited worship. Limited atonement means unlimited worship for a salvation so powerful, so effective, so loving, so full of grace. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious and glorious God, We pray that Thou would help us see, Lord, the preciousness of the power and even the purpose. And Lord, how loving that Thou hast of people. We thank, Lord, of what Pastor Lewis even mentioned, that the the passive element. Lord, if it had not been Thine electing grace, we would have been left in our sins and dereliction. Lord, this is our only hope. Thy sovereignty and Thy grace, Thine electing love is the only hope of man, men and women and little children. Lord, help us to be as little lambs that look to the shepherd and say, I love Thee, great shepherd of the sheep. Thank You for giving Thy life to me. And give me now thy grace to follow in every way. Forgive us, Lord, for we as sheep have gone astray. But we thank thee, Lord, that our iniquities were laid upon thee. And you are a sacrifice for our sins. We ask and thank thee in Jesus' name. Amen.